This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to another amazing day. It's Wednesday here at the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Wednesday for you, too, as well. And I thank you all so, so much for joining us. Uh, big news, big news. The Kentucky GOP chairman, Mac Brown, has stepped down from his position as chairman or stepping down as his position of chairman of the Republican Party of Kentucky. That's big news, top-of-the-line news, because, well, frankly, after this last election at the governor's era, we have to ask, what, what is our party doing? What is our state party accomplishing? We'll be digging into that today, as well as uh, Michael Adams gave uh just if if you don't already dislike michael adams as a sheer conservative standpoint he's our secretary of state um and and frankly you know he's not a uh what's the word i'm looking for here he's just not you know he he takes a very antagonistic approach to all of republicans out there he just he just doesn't like the you know, conservative Trump wing, and it just becomes very evident in the interview he did as well. I it just it's just oh it's just awful. So we'll be going over that today. As all those kind of two big major stories, as always, if you want to reach out to the show, you can email reach out to the show by emailing info at the show.com. Once again, info at the show.com. And uh, you can, of course, catch the Andrew Cooper Writer Show right here on WZXI Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. As well as you can catch it everywhere else at 1 o'clock. If you miss a show on WZXI or if you don't get, aren't in the listening area for WZXI's radio station uh, there in Central Kentucky, feel free to listen at 1 o'clock everywhere else. You can go to theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com to find those other listening places. Find Find those places where you can tune in to the show. You know, yesterday I was talking a lot about kind of the fiscal state of Kentucky and the, and the type of leaders we have. What what does conservatism even mean to them? And, and today we'll continue on as we kind of cover what, what do we think our leadership here in Kentucky, our, our so-called Republican leaders, what do we think they think conservatism is? What what, what do they define that as? Well, I can tell you they're they're none too happy with what's going on it's part of the reason why we're seeing a lot of people. We see this nationally. We're seeing establishment people leave. People like Ken Buck announcing he's retiring. We see Mitt Romney leaving. You know, that establishment type that really just needs to go. And, and here we go. We've got Mac Brown going. And, and Mac Brown really made several major mistakes. One of those being, of course, um, that he, one, he, he supported Rhonda McDaniel in this most recent uh, national election. He voted for her. Um, 
I believe he was is one of the two. Uh, there's three representatives that voted for the chairperson at the national level. Uh, two of them voted for Rhonda McDaniels out of Kentucky. One of them did not. Um, Mac Brown's one of them, and then uh, another individual and voted for um, Rhonda McDaniels. And then um, I believe Casey Crosby, she's also the Republican treasurer at the national level, as well as a Kentucky committee woman. She actually voted, I believe, for Harmeet Dillon, did not like uh, Rhonda McDaniels' leadership. But as um, Mac Brown stepped down, he, he sent out this letter, which of course is just absolutely evident of everything that is wrong with the establishment and the Republican party, no ability for self-reflection at all. This is what he said. He said on November 15th, 2015, I had the honor of being elected chairman of the Republican party of Kentucky. During these past eight years, we've seen tremendous amount of change, mostly for the better today. The Republican party controls both us Senate seats and five of the six congressional seats still seeks to control the governor's mansion, but controls all other constitutional offices, has gone from a split legislature with 43 seats in the House to dominating the legislature with 80% supermajority control in both the Senate and the House, has gone from county judge executives being predominantly Democrat to now we dominate the county judge executives holding 94 of 120 seats, has gone from struggling to have the needed resources to having raised and distributed in these eight years, over $30 million to support our candidates, have having trailed Democrats in voter registration by 13 points to now leading by two points or 75,000 voters. The RPK team and party leadership has turned the Republican Party from a minority party to the majority party in the Commonwealth. It took a number of different groups to achieve this success over the past eight years, and I like to think that the RPK team played a critical role has been my good fortune to work with some of the most talented, dedicated, and professional individuals. Now it is time for me to step down from the chairman position to allow new and fresh leadership to take the party to the next level. He goes on to list some people he has to thank, some people he feels compelled to thank. And he, he starts off, of course, thanking his predecessor, Steve Robertson. Then, of course, he goes on to thank every single pretty much member of the establishment, everybody who's the reason why we failed in this last governor's election, because of course the inability to look internally, the inability to see what they're doing is wrong is exactly what is wrong with the leadership of the Republican party here in Kentucky right now. So he thinks uh, Senator McConnell for so Many things, his advice and counsel, his leadership and guidance, the constant financial support of our candidates, his proactiveness that not only helped the party grow, but became a party that worked closely together. And most importantly, for his patience and ability to teach us patience. Terry Carmack for always being there and helping us build the organization. Senator Paul and his team for the support they've given to RPK and our candidates, thus earning a strong Republican state party. Our congressional delegation, the new and past constitutional officers, Robert Stivers, David Osborne, their leadership team, my fellow RNC team members, executive committee members, vice chair, RPK finance committee, and uh, he thanks his wife and a few others. He goes on to say, Kentucky is a beautiful state with far-reaching resources and great potential. Over the past eight years, we've made tremendous progress and transformed the Commonwealth into a state of opportunity, but there's still a great deal of work to be done. The key to our future success 
is for Republican Party to come together and not fight each other. Help the next chairman build the party. Listen and respect each other, and our future is worth the effort. Look, here's one thing I can tell you, Mac Brown. As you listed through your accomplishments, your congressional accomplishments, your, your state legislative accomplishments, all those accomplishments, I'm going to tell you something, Mac. That nothing really much to do with you. Yeah, you were there to grasp the opportunity. You were there, of course, you provided the candidates. You were there to provide uh, some of the people to grab hold of it. But, but Mac, there was somebody you left off. Somebody who really has for all of us to thank for the success of Kentucky's Republican Party. And it's the very same person, people like Mac Brown and Mitch McConnell. Hey, it's the very same type of voter that they find so distasteful. You know, it's funny to hear him call for party unity when it's the very people who put this party in power, who put this party in power in the state house and the legislature, the very voters that do that, that they now work against, the very voters that these establishment lackey types hate so much. And that is, of course, the Trump voter. For you see, when you look at the facts, there's only one person to thank for many of the successes we have enjoyed in the Republican Party, and that's Trump. Trump casting a vision that so many across Kentucky were able to grasp onto and understand what the Republican Party stood for. Because before Trump, what the Republican Party stand for? You may have heard it. The Democrat Party is for the people, and the Republican Party is for Big business. I know I remember hearing that. Perhaps you remember hearing that, that Republican Party serves businesses and Democrat Party serves the people. Then Trump came along and changed up the narrative and exposed the Democrats for what they are, but at the same time exposed these fake conservatives for the conniving jerks that have been destroying our country, at least complacent in it. We'll be going over a little bit more of the facts to point out exactly why I'm saying what I'm saying after this short break. You're listening to the Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics. We'll see you soon. And you're back with the Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics. For the break, we we're talking about Mac Brown, GOP chair for the state, stepping down here in Kentucky, clearing the way. And we we're going over his thank you letter where he claims that, well, he and RPK and, of course, Mitch McConnell did all the hard work needed in order to flip the house. But when we actually look at the facts here, facts of the numbers, what we find is they didn't really do much other than were there provided. Of course, the candidates did that recruitment. That's important stuff. Don't get me wrong, but they themselves an accomplishment. And, and, and it's so important for them to recognize this. And I want to make sure this gets through every single one of these establishment hacks, thick skulls. Because there's another establishment hack, Michael Adams, who did an article here we'll be talking about that, that just goes show. Well, at least Adams actually says the quiet part out loud. We'll go over that here in a bit. He, he's, I, you know, got to love him for his honesty, at least. But anyways, something to get through their skulls. You were in charge of a flailing party before Trump came along. Your party didn't stand for anything. You were a bunch of men and women, I guess, sitting around in mahogany rooms, smoking your pipes in your back rooms, drinking whiskey and talking about how much money you're going to make off this deal or that deal. You know, the Democrat Party is the same way, was the same way, is the same way. The difference is, is the Democrats earlier on started to realize they had to grasp the people. At least they, they had to run a cover of it. See, the Republican Party would be pretty much DOA, dead on arrival, 
it wasn't for Trump. The Obama years really established that. Sure, we had a red wave during one of the midterms of the Obama years, but let's be very honest here. The Republican Party was flailing before Trump came along because they didn't know how to message to the people. They couldn't put out an inspiring message at all. They didn't stand for anything. When we look at the federal level house makeup during prior to just prior to Trump, what do we see? We see that Republicans holding control, right? So, so Democrats had control, uh, uh, grabbed control in 2007, held it till 2011. And then we saw a messaging coming forward from the Republican party. We saw the, the tea party group, the group that remember McConnell and Hill hated the most coming out of the woodwork and then delivering a victory to the Republicans of 242. And then they managed to hold on to control of the house from 2011 until 2019, eight years. And out of that time, Barack Obama was president for the majority of it. But yet Barack Obama wins reelection, even though Republicans are holding the house. Why? Because your local Republicans were casting some value, some vision, some direct knowledge while Democrats, on the other hand, weren't. But then at the national level, they had no message to give because people were looking at the national level Republicans and seeing they weren't accomplishing anything for the people. They saw that they were supposedly fighting Barack Obama. That was great, but they weren't really accomplishing the victories they promised, things like repealing Obamacare and so on and so forth. And so Trump comes along and he casts a vision, a national vision that people can latch on to and is able to deliver wins in many states, flipping them Republican. But see, these people hate it. Now, if we look at Mac Brown's time, his eight years, what do we find? We find that well, over his time in there, his eight years, the flip didn't happen until Trump was on the ballot, baby. I mean, he, he thanks McConnell for his unending support. McConnell gained office in 1985. In 1944, in 1994, sorry, McConnell's in office. Republicans have 36 House seats. 2002, 35. 2004, they see a little jump to 43. Then look at that. They fall back in 2006, back down to 35. Hit 35 in 2008, managed to build themselves up to 46 seats in 2014. Three more than they had in 2004. McConnell's in office this entire time. Of course, Mac Brown has now been in office now. Then suddenly, come 2016, 64 Republicans now hold office. And for the first time ever, it's a Republican majority in Kentucky. McConnell's been in office for almost 30 years. In 2014, still hadn't flipped it. I mean, he had gained three more seats than he did 10 years earlier. I guess that was some accomplishments. But then the true flip, the true gain, the true 20-seat explosion to give them the majority that they've continued to build upon happened when Trump was on the ballot. So I ask you, who did it? Trump or McConnell? 
who did the flip. But yet, what is Mac Brown? But well, it was McConnell, of course. And Terry Carmack, obviously, the guy who just lost that governor's election. You see, see, Mac Brown and, and everyone, these people, these, these establishment people, at this point, they're losers. They're controlled opposition. That's what they've been, right? They've just been there. While the Democrats have pushed onwards, I mean, think about this, okay? Think about how liberal this country is compared to when you were a kid. Okay, let's think about how far liberal this country's gone since, let's just say 2000, right? Since 2000, okay? Since 2001, the Republicans have held the president's office at the federal level for, what's the, eight, 12 years compared to the Democrats having held it for, what's, let's look from 21, 2021. Okay, let's look from 2001 to 21. 20 years. Out of those 20 years, the Republicans hold it 12. And they have control of the House. Let's see, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14 of those years. And they have control of the Senate, two, four, six, eight, ten of those years. They control the Senate half the time, control of the House more than a majority of time, and the President's office more than a majority of time. But yet, we've seen our country marching towards the left because when the Republicans are in office, they don't do anything to fight this leftist social things. They think it's distractions or it's whatever. They don't really want to deal with it. That's what the establishment has a problem with. These people like Ken Buck and Mitt Romney and these others that are leaving, these Mac Browns that are leaving like rats off a ship because to them, they think it's sinking. Why? Because it doesn't focus on the things they want focused on anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't focus on just doing the will of the corporations. It doesn't focus on just going ahead and putting in place the types of legislation that they want to see. Instead, it's run by people who have listened to the voters that demand that they actually do something and deliver on, and it's too much for these people to handle. They want to blame it on Trump. They want to blame it on everything else. But at the end of the day, they need but look in a mirror. Need but look in a mirror. Well, we have our old friend Michael Adams, Secretary of State, future governor candidate, doing a, a nice little article for the Herald Leader. Nice little spread. Really sat down there with the... Um, with the main guy there, Austin Horn, over at the Herald Leader, gave him a, a big article. And at first, I thought it was going to go good. I mean, at first, it started off well. The title, I, I was like, oh, really? Michael Adams and me might agree on something. Of course, Michael Adams, Secretary of State, uh, uh, starts off by saying the article's title is Michael Adams, Republican Message is Wrong, Tripping Up the GOP. On its surface, I agree with that statement. I agree. Yeah, the, this it, we are getting something wrong as Republicans in our messaging when it comes to some of these issues like abortion. And what we're getting wrong is we aren't sticking to our conservative values and we're not making the, the Democrats defend their position. Instead, we're allowing ourselves to be pushed back on our heels. So I thought that's what Adams would say, but no, Adams to Adams, Republican message is wrong. Doesn't mean we're messaging wrong. It means the things we care about as conservatives is wrong. 
And we simply need to change that pesky thing like conservative beliefs in order to win elections. That's, that's of course, what he thinks. And you can really tell when it comes in here. And, 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 and I realized that we were not going to have ourselves an article that I agreed a lot with when we got this first question. Says, uh, now that the dust, this was the question that they asked him first. Now that the dust has settled on election day, what are the biggest takeaways for you as a politician? Here's what Adam said. He said, I think the clear takeaway is that when Republicans like me, what Republicans like me thought in 2019 that we had the right message and the wrong messenger, we were, that was wrong. I think what Daniel showed us is he ran one of the best campaigns I had ever seen in terms of being out there being everywhere, very hard work, very appealing candidate, very articulate, very inspiring, but you've seen now the lowest performing candidate vote share for the Republican Party decline repeatedly in gubernatorial election year. I think it's a warning sign. I think that the Republican registration growth is a red herring and it's a misleading indicator. Now, I'll give you a little hint here uh, why I disagree with Michael Adams. It might be because he's living in a weirdo universe when he says the things that I think Daniel showed us is he ran one of the best campaigns I've seen in terms of being out there everywhere, very hard work, very appealing, very articulate, very aspiring. What are you talking about, Michael Adams? Because the words on the ground would have been completely opposite. It wasn't very well ran. In fact, Everybody else believes quite the opposite. Now, Michael Adams isn't going to call it the people who ran the campaign because, of course, those were friends with him. You see, there are two camps of belief when it comes to the Cameron campaign. Those with their heads in the sand that think is a perfectly run campaign, and it's just all Republicans' fault for being too conservative, and we need to change that. And those are those establishment McConnellites, Adamites, whatever you want to call them, people. Who don't, who, who, who don't really believe anything. So they're willing to abandon anything they need to in order to put a quote-unquote win up on the board and to win isn't policy win to them. It's nothing but winning an election despite whatever policy you get in place. No, instead, to them, winning is just simply winning an election. And then you're seeing a camp of people that recognize that Daniel Cameron ran and the people running Daniel Cameron's campaign did a horrible job which is a majority of people. That's not the only thing in this article we can take issue with. We'll go over this more after this break. You're listening to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. We'll see you guys back here in just a few short minutes. And you're back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. For the break, we were talking about the Michael Adams article in the Herald Leader, Michael Adams' Republican message is wrong, tripping up the GOP. I thought at first I might agree with Adams. Boy, was I wrong. He's living in a cuckoo universe where he believes that Daniel Cameron was a very inspiring candidate and the people who ran his campaign did an amazing job. And that instead, and this is what he blames, he says it was sideshow attractions, uh, distractions. That's why Cameron lost. Sideshow distractions. Something that doesn't make, well, frankly, any sense at all. Sideshow distractions. What's he say? Sidestrow distractions on. He says, I think running on trans stuff, running on stuff that doesn't impact people's daily lives as much to the point of almost obsession. I think that was a mistake. He thinks that running on those social issues was a mistake. Now, of course, 
this is a wish. See, see the Michael Adams people. I've, I, they, they call people like us the conservatives, the, the, the people who like Trump, the populists, the liberty people. They call us the crazies, the delusionals. But honestly, the more and more I hear these people speak, the more I realize how delusional they are. I mean, they're living in a world where. Daniel Cameron's campaign was run amazingly and he was extremely aspiring to the average voter whose best reason they could give anybody else to vote for him was at least he's not Bashir. That's a real good sign of an inspiring candidate I know is when they say, why would you vote for him? They say, well, he's not the other guy. I know that's just a good old mark for a super inspiring candidate. Don't you know? Isn't that what you say about candidates that inspire you? At least they're not that other guy. Anyways, so he already lives in this crazy town world that makes no sense at all. And it's more clear that these people don't. As, as, as they say, they say, well, it was the trancing. Those were the sideshows. Those were things that didn't really matter. And it's because really to Adams, it doesn't matter. One, he doesn't look at the Democrat campaigns. And see what they're claiming as a reason why they won. And and, and they're claiming that, of course, uh, um, you know, abortion issues is energizing to their voters. And that's why they're winning. And perhaps it is the case. I, I, I think it's not as much a testament to how good Democrats are doing, but more a testament to how badly Republicans are messaging on the abortion issue. But the abortion issue is a, quote unquote, sideshow distraction to the Democrats, their social issue distraction, as much as the transing stuff is, as far as Michael Adams is concerned. In fact, one, it's not a sideshow distraction to the Democrats. I mean, remember, if if you will, in the election um, here in in Lexington, I believe is the 90, uh, was it 93rd district, 98th district, is Kyle Whalen uh, running in that special election as the Republican. Um, there and and if you remember, there's a whole kerfuffle on the Democrat side of things because the candidate for them said that there was uh, uh, extremists on both sides of the trans issues, and then that upset all the trans people in the Democrat Party because uh, the Democrat candidate had called them extreme, and she had to come out and apologize. the The candidate had to come out and apologize for that. You may remember that. These aren't sideshow distractions to them. It's incredibly important to them. These are important issues, these social issues. and But to Republicans, it's sideshow distractions, according to Michael Adams. But what it really is, it's a distraction for him. It distracts him away from, and Republicans like him away from what they really want to be doing, which is lining the pockets of themselves and others, you know, lording over people. And it makes them have to do actual hard work and, and actually have to take a stand for something. And, well, that's just something their shoulders and spine can't handle because it's too weak. Because they're more worried, of course, about potentially holding on to office because that is what they're about. That's their career. That's their life definition. And so they think that, well... We need to ignore these sideshow distractions. And of course, as they're already in their own crazy town, like, like, like I said, you have people that think Cameron ran an inspiring, wonderful campaign. So of course, you're not going to figure that they'll recognize that people like, um, you know, Florida turning from, I don't know, 
blue to red or purple to ruby red under Ron DeSantis or Virginia electing a Republican governor, they'll ignore the fact that those elections occurred when people did focus on the social issues. They'll ignore the fact that Trump got more votes than any other Republican candidate before for president and one president in 2016 outright. They'll ignore that and ignore the fact that he's the last thing from a moderate candidate. They'll ignore the fact that Trump brings in, you know, 60, 65% of the vote here in Kentucky, the opposite of a moderate candidate in order to make it fit their narrative. And that is that we need moderate candidates. This isn't a distraction to the left. And of course, you know, who is Adams to really know? He points to his own election success. I've got the most votes. Well, you got one or two more percentage points. Congratulations. You ran a secretary of state's election. You were like the only incumbent on the ballot and your opponent raised 221K to your 350K. You don't think that had anything to do with it. Of course not. It's just that you're just so much more amazing at messaging. So says Adams. And try honestly, trying to compare a race where all in total spin is $500,000 by both candidates to a race where they spent, I don't know, $100 million almost combined is comparing apples to oranges. I mean, keep in mind, sending one mailer to like 200,000 houses is $125,000. 221K doesn't take you far, and that's certainly not a whole lot to take on an incumbent in a statewide election. But, you know, there's something really more telling in his article. And this is one thing I will say about Adams. And, and this grabs him some ire. And really, I think it's it's interesting. I think, of course, it's gloating and, and taking people on. And really, I scratch my head sometimes because it exposes him for things. But he is at least one of the more honest establishment hacks that I've seen in office. He is more than willing to just outright and bluntly say exactly what he feels, whether it's uh, you know narcissism or what, I don't know. But Adams was asked about open primaries. Now, let me explain something to you, okay? Here in Kentucky, we have something called closed primaries. That means if you're a Republican, you need to, if, if you want to vote in the Republican primary in May, you have to be a registered Republican. If you want to vote in the Democrat primary, you got to be a registered Democrat. And if you're not registered to either party, well, then you can't vote in party primaries. Now, I'm a big proponent of closed primaries. Why? Because I think it should be about when Republicans are selecting who they want to represent Republicans on the ballot, it should be limited to Republicans. That's what the election is for. The primary is about selecting who you want to represent your party in the general election. Why should Democrats or independents get an opinion on who the Republicans pick to represent them in the general election? Why should they get an opinion? Why should Republicans get an opinion on who the Democrats get to pick to represent them in the general? It should be registered Republicans picking who represents them in the general's Republican candidate. And it should be Democrats, registered Democrats, picking who represents them as a Democrat candidate. This isn't a hard concept to understand. I know people sometimes gnash their teeth about it. And those are mainly the independents or Democrats who forgot to switch a registration that always vote Republican. So they get real upset about it. But I, I tell you this much. I don't need Democrats weighing in because here's the thing. Voting straight party ticket delivers something. Right now, being a generic R means something. 
And that's because people believe it stands for something if they don't know anything else about it. And it's up to people who also are identifying that same way to ensure the integrity of what that stands for. If Democrats start getting to define what is a good Republican or not, well, then that's exactly how you get a bunch of Republicans that don't actually represent us. So you'd think any reasonable Republican thinking person would keep it that way, but not Adams. He clearly wants open primaries and, well, you don't have to wonder a conspiracy about it. <laughs> Why? He he says the exact reason out loud. He says the, uh, you, you, you just don't even got to guess and I got to hand it to him. It takes some, some chutzpah to really come out and say this. We'll go over exactly what he said after this break. You're listening to the Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Remember, if you want to reach out to the show, email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. We'll see you back here in just a few, few short minutes. And you're back with the Andrew Cooperwriter show. Before the break, I was talking about this Michael Adams interview with the Herald Leader. And in it, he was asked about open primaries. And man, he just says the quiet part out loud. This was his response. He was asked, um, you know, are you for open primaries? You think open primaries will go? Adams says, I think it's uh, dead on arrival in this session. But I do think the politics would align for this to happen. To be really blunt about it, I think it would take a pretty bad night in Republican primaries for the legislature, where incumbents get beat, specifically more moderate to center-right Republican incumbents get beat like what you saw in 2022. I think over time, maybe not much time at all, you're going to begin to see the caucus in each chamber get a little more fringy that can make things uncomfortable for leadership and the incumbents. I don't think the legislature will ever open primaries because I asked them to. I think they might open it up for their own political benefit at some point. If you start to see more factionalism in the caucuses and more difficulty for leadership to keep people together on the same page. So let me, let me explain why I'm laughing and, and what I mean by really just saying the quiet part out loud. Um, first off, he, he just comes out and says, yeah, well, those in power will change the rules of elections to suit them whenever they feel like it, which, you know, kudos to him for just saying it out loud. A little concerning, of course, as he's the person in charge of running our elections. Um, but you know, whatever. <laughs> and second, second thing he says, and I got to wrap this up. So as I said, Right now, you have to be a registered Republican to vote in the Republican primaries. And so by opening up the primaries and allow Democrats and independents to weigh in on who they want to see as the Republican candidate on the Republican ticket uh, in, no in November. Now, right now, if you make it past the primary, almost most Republicans will win. There's a whole lot of seats, the majority of seats in the state house where the general election's a foregone conclusion. The Republican will win. It's a very red district at this point. Uh, people come in, they see an R, they vote for the R, they vote straight ticket. However it happens, it's just it's a foregone conclusion. That election is over. Nobody else is going to win that but the Republican in the general. So really, it's the primaries that's the real election. And what he's saying in, in, in not so many words is, is that basically... The establishment Republicans and incumbents and leadership, those in control, aren't actually very conservative. In fact, they're so not conservative that, well, Republicans may vote them out. That people will say, you may say you're a Republican, but you're not actually at all. So what we're going to do is remove you as the Republican 
representative for this area. Instead, we're going to vote somebody else in to represent this area. What Adams is saying is that basically, once it gets to a point that these establishment has lost control, so much so that people no longer, Republicans are no longer fooled by the R next to their name and realize what liberals they are, and they demand a more conservative party, well, then leadership will have to open up for the independents and Democrats to vote in the primaries in order to get more liberal Republicans. Basically, when those who are registered are demand that those who represent them with ours next to their name be conservative too much for the leadership to handle, then at that point, they'll go ahead and say, well, never mind, let's let Democrats and independents vote because we need to water down those who say they're conservative from voting on me, who also says they're a conservative. That's what I need to see happen. That's what they will claim needs to happen. It's very interesting. And, and he says it. they can make things uncomfortable for leadership and incumbents. Basically, they just don't want to do it. If, if that's what the voters want, I mean, what's the use of holding on to power if you're not going to do things? Basically, he's he's saying that as the caucus becomes more conservative, they leadership will be concerned. What's the point of holding office if you're going to just do such liberal things? You might as well just vote for a Democrat at that point. And they don't want to run that risk. They, they rely on the team red shirt versus team blue shirt in the general. But when it comes to team red shirt actually picking you, well, they don't want that to be the case. Real interesting article, real revealing. And of course, he goes on to say he will be running for governor, which I certainly hope all of you out there remember this article. Remember this individual who's self-identifying himself as middle, not very conservative, so much so that he wishes primaries would be open. So that way the Democrats can vote for him then too. Um, you know, there's this other interesting story I saw where the Lexington Health Department has lost Fayette County Public Schools contract for providing school nurses. So for the last 50 years, 55, zero years, the Lexington Health Department has provided the school nurse services to the Fayette County Public Schools. And this year, well, they lost that contract. It was forced opened out for bid and a private company called Maxim Healthcare came in and underbid Fayette, Fayette County Health Department by $1.4 million. So Fayette County Health Department bid $4.5 million and then they came in and bid $3.1 million, undercutting them by $1.4 million. And I just want us listening to this to reflect on this for a second. Because remember, the health department, for in the first place, this is should have been an unfair bid. This should have been very easy for the health department to win right off the bat. Why? You already had the in, inclination to, to go for them. They've been the same for the last 50 years. Two, they don't have a profit incentive. They are a nonprofit that's funded by us, the taxpayers right? They levy their own tax. Okay. So they're providing, so one government was providing a service to another government who is a non, and, and that government entity was a nonprofit who also, oh, by the way, gets funded through a property tax from people in Fayette County. And yet, <laughs> even with all that, even with pulling in tax dollars, being a nonprofit, a private company can 
that for-profit private company offers the same services for $1.4 million cheaper. $1.4 million cheaper. Pretty significant amount of money cheaper. Now, of course, you know, maybe, maybe Fayette County Health Department's like, look, we've been doing this contract for 50 years. We know it goes what into it. Maybe Maxim accidentally underbid it, but I can tell you, even if they upped it by another hundred, by another million, they still would have been 400,000 cheaper. That still would have been 10% cheaper. How is it that a for-profit entity is that much cheaper than a government doing something? I think we all know the answer. It's because, of course, these government entities waste our money like nobody's business. You know, I did say something wrong yesterday when I was talking about our legislature. I said, I said they need to remember that it's our money and, and not theirs. But I, I think I got that wrong. I actually want them to start to think about it as if it is their money. Because it's very easy to spend someone else's money. It's very easy to spend your money. It's very easy to invest your money. It's very easy for the government to spend your money. But it's very hard for somebody to spend their own money. If you give me $1,000 to spend for you, I may not be as thrifty as if I'm trying to spend that same $1,000 for myself. So in this case, we have the health department being outbid by a private company, just providing more evidence that maybe when it comes to other things involving our schools and school nurses, like maybe schooling itself, we should maybe be looking at private companies providing the same services because apparently they can do it for significantly cheaper, despite even with a profit incentive, even with the need to make a profit, despite going and having to compete against entities that get to pull tax dollars and our nonprofits don't, don't have to pull off the same profit like they do. It's just very eye-opening. Uh, it's definitely pretty um, extreme when you, think, when you think about it in that way. One more little news story out of Louisville. One dead after a fire in a homeless encampment in Louisville uh, past day or two, there was a fire at a homeless encampment in Louisville. Just underscores what I was talking about last week when we really need to approach this homeless issue, you are not doing anybody any favors by allowing these vagrants to continue to sleep on the streets. You're not, you're not helping them as we see a, a death years and, and, and they have warming centers. They have warming tents set up in Louisville. These people just don't want to go to them. It's time we ask for accountability on this issue from our city leaders. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today here on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I thank you all so, so much for joining me. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. I know I will. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Once again, remember, if you want to reach out to the show, just email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, info at theandrewshow.com. And if you missed yesterday's show or any shows this week or any shows in the future, feel free. Just go to theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com. To catch past episodes, you can catch them on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Rumble, uh, as well as all major podcasting platforms. Thank you all so, so much for joining us. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day.